This is Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. Hello, I'm Jake Cantor and welcome to Talking TV. This episode, we're cartwheeling our way into the world of entertainment as BBC One looks to replicate Strictly Come Dancing success with a show training stars up as gymnasts. Also on the show, we talk to Mark Freeland, the executive producer behind BBC Two's genre-bending comedy thriller, The Wrong Man's. We've also got a couple of hot pick previews to get our teeth stuck into, including new E4 comedy from the company behind the Inbetweeners. So stick around for all of that. Joining me in the studio is WizKid creative director Stephen D. Wright and broadcast reporter Peter White. Uh, Stephen, you haven't been with us for a, for a few weeks. You've, you've been on your holes, is that right? been on holiday, went to Morocco. Was it good? Very exciting. Missed British TV, of course. Though. Did you? Yes, very much. Um, and Pete, you're talking TV debut? Yes, you? yeah, looking forward to it. Are you excited? Very excited. Yeah. You're a cool customer, you see. <laughs> Don't usually do excitement, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> this is as excited as I get. <laughs> OK, let's get cracking. First up, it was out with the old and in with the new in entertainment land this week. Chris Tarrant and ITV are preparing to shuffle Who Wants to Be a Millionaire out of the limelight after 15 years. But it was BBC One that really caught the uh, attention of the industry with a new show promising to train up celebrities as gymnasts and make them perform live. The working title is Let's Get Ready to Tumble. Here's how the news went down on broadcastnow.co.uk. One TV exec said, I love TV right now. It's so fabulously bad. And the Beeb now joins the Idiocy Club. Another added, will the title refer to BBC One's Saturday Night Ratings? Uh, and someone was so angry, uh, they simply shouted, pathetic. Stephen, are you, are you inclined to agree or do you have a more philosophical view? The, the heart does sink a little bit when you read about celebrity gymnastics. Although, in a kind of cruel way, I just wonder who's going to be the first celebrity to break their spine or their... <laughs> leg or their arm because you know health and safety is one of those fun things that comes in when you come up with an idea like this so it could be brilliant it could be shite like uh, splash it doesn't really make you think i'm going to stay in and watch it pete what do you reckon this says about the state of entertainment at the moment well i mean it's essentially trading off the olympics two years late it sounds like someone came up with this idea while they were watching the olympics and and it won't make it to the air until till next summer um it's essentially splash without the water which is a bad enough idea anyway and and i mean it's bbc in-house making up an idea that that uh you know bottom of the barrel basically And that's how one uh, one TV exec described it on the website yeah, as well. Stealing stealing uh, inspiration from the game circa 2003. <laughs> uh, I mean, do you think we can read too much into this in terms of the way Charlotte Moore is going to take BBC One? She, politically, the, the fact that it's an in-house commission is obviously important in that respect. So it's, it's something that she's commissioned an in-house production. So, uh, you know, Strictly is the, the dominant winner at the moment. So there's a kind of a, you know, why not commission yeah. in-house? And so in-house are on riding high at the moment. And, you know, I mean, for all our kind of, ugh, you know, sighs and, and groans, this could be great. Yeah. You know, that's the thing about entertainment. You can you never know until it works. You never know until you see it. It sounds a bit, ugh, but it might be fantastic. It might be. Yeah. You know, I mean, no one was really interested in Strictly Come Dancing yeah. when it first came out. The whole idea of that sounded a bit like, oh, here we go. And that was inspiration from the 70s. It's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one. Until you sat, sit there on a Saturday night, 
you know, with your kind of takeaway and your kind of goggle box, you know, reviewer's hat on and sit there and they start laughing or start going cheering or whatever. I don't know, maybe they make an amazing journey. Who knows? But certainly, you know, it says something that it's an in-house commission. I would have hoped that the, the best minds in, in British television would have been able to come up with something slightly <laughs> better for Charlotte Moore's first big commission. Um, it's, it's hardly inspiring. People have expressed similar views on Twitter and Pat Young, who's the outgoing chief creative officer, of BBC Productions, he was uh, he was uh, you know responding to much of this criticism. In fact, he responded to broadcast editor Lisa Campbell saying, hashtag, give it a bloody chance, and then comment. He then added, you've not seen one frame, so how can you rush to judgment? I've seen the format, and I'm happy to be judged on the show. As Strictly shows, it's all about creative ambition and execution. Would you agree with that, Stephen? Well, that's exactly it. I mean, that is the thing. I mean, I, you know, I regularly pitch things that make you go, oh, for God's sake. And it is it is that thing of, you know, what it sounds like and what it is are two different things. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's got, a, it's got a cheesy title. That doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a cheesy show. It could be amazing. Yeah. It could be, you know, and it, I mean, this is the thing. This, it's the, the hardest thing in the world to come up with a Saturday night show, uh, to get that audience, to catch them all. You know, there are so few of them. You know, we're bored to tears with X Factor and those kind of shows. You know, Strictly is still sort of hanging on in there. This could be the next thing. It could, could be, be, you could know. Be. And, and, he, he, and he's right. You should give it a chance. We yeah. should give it a chance. I mean, it's just that because it's got a naff title and there's, you know, let's get ready to crumble the food version and let's get ready to humble the cake <laughs> that doesn't help. version. And it's, and it's yeah. Ant and Dex uh, well, theme sorry, tune I mean, as well. You know, if it was called something a bit more exciting, we yeah. wouldn't be laughing at it right yeah. now. But Pat Young's absolutely right. It could be amazing. We do have to reserve judgment. And quickly, Pete, before we move on, you were in MIP a couple of weeks ago. Was there any big entertainment shows that you you felt might might make their way over here? Well, uh, no, um, the short answer. But there's plenty that, that people will be pitching. I mean, they all sound very similar takes on, on shows we've already got. The big one everyone was talking about was a, a format called Rising Star, which is from uh, from Israel. Um, but again, it just sounds like a slightly different twist on on X Factor, on The Voice, on, on twiddling chairs and stuff. Smartphone, so I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, I'm sure the BBC will be pitching mm. this at MIPCOM in uh, in 12 months and yeah, they'll be telling probably. us how successfully it's been sold around the world. And talking of the international scene, uh, seamless, I know. Pete, you've uh, got some interesting news from China on the front page of broadcast this week. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, so uh, China's the sort of the, the place where everyone's trying to pitch their ideas at the moment. There's a, there's lots of money to be made. There's lots of, of people to watch your formats. Um, and in the last few months, we've seen a number of deals done, whether it's uh, Undercover Boss or Super Nanny or, or Secret Millionaire being being uh, picked up by Chinese broadcasters. Um, but the Chinese are a little bit fed up of this, and, and particularly the talent formats. They're sick of Susan Boyle, apparently. Um, so <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> well, quite. Um, so they're, they're, they've limited the number of formats that, uh, that, that international national formats that can be picked up by by Chinese broadcasters. So it basically means that that this sort of Wild West trading of, of international formats is, is set to stop, which is uh, which has got many producers and distributors a, a little bit nervous. Yeah, so it could be bad news for UK production companies. It, it, yes, they'll have to be a bit a bit smarter about how they do it, and, and, and some of them are already starting to get around it. I mean, pitching ideas to broadcasters in China before they've, they've pitched them to other broadcasters, or getting the Chinese broadcasters to co-produce or co-develop a zigzag is, is one example of they've got a show called Fit Family Challenge, and rather than selling it over here first, they're they're selling it in China, and then and then probably seeing if they can they can swing it back in the in the UK. Stephen, with your whiz kid hat on, is is the Chinese market something that intrigues you, or is yeah, it just definitely, yeah? I like the idea of going over to Shanghai to pitch and, and be rejected yeah. by them. 
you know, it's, it was a longer cab ride than coming back to Channel 4. Um, <laughs> is it something that's genuinely interesting? I mean, do you... Gotcha. I mean, would you, know, you... The, 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 you know, the one thing that the British TV industry is good at is ideas. Um, you know, we should be selling to everybody. And so the more you can sell, the more you can, more money you can make. It's yeah. hard enough to survive in this industry. So... Yeah, no, absolutely. I would, uh, I'd love to be pitching to China. CCTV has got a lot of money, and in fact, they're actually paying for British producers to go over there. I mean, they have a fund available. There you go. So get uh, book your book a free your plane, ride. Book your blue plane tickets. Yeah. Chinese food as well. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, finally, in the news section, Broadcast is hosting the production and post forum at the BFI this week. The two-day event has been organised to showcase the technological and creative advances currently taking place in production and post. In a minute, we'll hear from broadcast editor Lisa Campbell, who's down at the event. But first, a highlight from Wednesday's keynote session on natural history programming. Here's Discovery's Andrew Jackson on why the broadcaster ended a £30 million co-production deal with the BBC for blue-chip factual content. So in 2005, 16 out of our top 40, and that's... Out of all the shows across across the whole channel, 16 of them were BBC. By 2010, that figure had dropped to three. Three out of our top 40 shows were BBC. Last year, none. So, you know, I think that just shows how that evolution happened. You know, the, the audience changed. We, we became very used to watching real people do real things. And that sort of rather wonderful show and tell, you know, David sitting there with gorillas and saying, here I am sitting looking at some gorillas. People were less inclined to turn that on. That was Andrew Jackson. Uh, now let's head over to the BFI. Hello, Lisa. Tell us about how it's all going. Hi, Jake. Yes, it's going really well so far. Um, we've heard the creative stories and production challenges behind some of the biggest hits of the year, from Downton Abbey to Broadchurch. And we've got um, a great tech theme running throughout where 4K is clearly the big story. We had a fantastic session on undercover filming and a demo of the kit you need to capture the shot when you're under fire. In fact, we saw an amazing clip from Ollie Lambert's doc, uh, Syria Behind the Lines, which I think reminded everyone why television matters. Another notable session was James Hawes on big screen ambition for the small screen. He directed the recent Channel 4 hit, The Mill, as well as series of Doctor Who. And he really singles out Doctor Who as uh, the relaunch, actually, as, as a major turning point. And that was really when big screen ideas made it onto TV with ambitious location shoots, CGI, you know, freedom given to key creatives. And as he pointed out, you know, that big screen ambition has progressed to such an extent that TV is no longer considered in, in a rather snobbish way to be small screen. It's the place for big ideas and, and film talent want a piece of it. So as well as Danny Boyle directing a Channel 4 pilot and Ben Wheatley directing Doctor Who, um, Hall's revealed that he knows of at least three or four feature film directors currently in negotiations about British drama. Um, perhaps a bit worrying for British directors, but a sign that, that really there's no longer this snobbery towards television and those um, sort of quality dramas that we're producing can attract the big names. Thanks, Lisa. That's your news for this episode. Uh, my thanks to Lisa, Stephen and Pete. Now, uh, we bring in another producer to talk about a hit show on BBC Two that's not The Great British Bake Off. Uh, its unusual blend of comedy and action has ensured The Wrong Man's has had the right formula for the channel. Written by and starring James Corden and Matthew Bainton, the story has more twists than The Bake Off Swiss Roll, but fans will be hoping the pair straighten things out in a gripping finale next week. 
Wrong Man's executive producer Mark Freeland will join us to talk through how the ambitious show was realised. But first, here's a typically offbeat moment from the series so far. Hello? If anyone's listening, I don't know who you think we are, but we're not him. My name is Sam Pinkett and I work for the council. My name is Philip Vaughan. I don't work for the council. I just work in the building. I'm subcontracted. There's nobody there. Where's my money? There's been a misunderstanding. I gave my guy my money and a phone. Now, there is no guy. There is no money. And I traced the phone and ended up with you. So, Mark, welcome to Talking TV. Thank you. Uh, you're, a, you're a veteran comedy producer for the BBC, <laughs> but is The Wrong Man's unlike anything you've, uh, you've made previously? It probably is in its scale and its ambition. I suppose the nearest thing in its kind of oddity is, is Nighty Night that I did um, years ago now, which was yeah. was similarly kind of odd-shaped and, and was a thriller, you know, a very dark thriller. And it, it, that, that I had the same feeling of, um, I don't know what we've got here, but I think it's good. And The Wrong Man certainly is has that feeling of novelty. And will it the sense of, God, will it work or not? I don't know. We put our all into it. We yeah. absolutely put our all into it. That's all I can say. <laughs> I mean, you can see the ambition on screen and, and the money on screen as well. I mean, talk to us about how it all came about and you know how you pulled the financing together. To be honest, uh, when James and Matt came with the idea, I said, yes, write it and we'll fix it later. And, and, yeah. my, and it was very much pushed by the director and uh, creative guru of ours, um, Jim Field-Smith who encouraged them just to write as big as they possibly can. Write it and we'll sort it. Right, because he, he directed and produced. So that had a single vision. And he said, write it and we'll try and do it. And sometimes in television, it's the time you have. It's not the scale of the stuff you do. It's actually you have less time. So it just means you have to roll a car once, as we did, uh, pretty successfully because someone said to me after they saw it the first time, I said, "God, it's brilliant! I mean, you just can't see the the green screen effect on that. It's amazing. How did you how did you do that?" But we rolled it once. In it in, mo- in movies, you'd have six more cars waiting for you, so you, you have one chance. So the scale of ambition is the same. You just have a shorter amount of time. So we we did it. We wrote it, and and I decided, look, what we'd do is we'll go out and find the money later. The story is full of twists and turns. Was the narrative? so complicated when it first turned up to you? I mean, did it come fully formed? Okay, so the relationship was fully formed. Yeah. So when Matt and James walked in the room, it, it, it's like working with all those great comedy partnerships, actually. it's The, the relationship is that it was Phil and Sam in the room. It was hilarious. But the story wasn't. The idea of the phone, the, the, the kicker for the plot was fully formed. Episode one was the kind of was was plotted out but then it's it's when i'm sure matt and james would say it's when jim field smith joined and we had jeremy dyson and then tom basden came you know the 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 architecture of the show i mean it it took a hell of a lot of plotting because we promised ourselves what we do is is squeeze an hour's worth of drama in into half an hour that's what we really really wanted to do we want we wanted there's various iterations of the script that were kind of... Uh, and in the original pilot, there's one scene where we just let up and and let it breathe in a kind of linear, traditional way. And we realised that it, it this is this is a kind of uh, 
crazy Greek tragedy um, where the, when, once the wheels start spinning, you cannot put the brakes on. Yeah. And so it took a hell of a lot of plotting, a hell of a lot. And it's stuff full of British talent as well. I mean, what was... I mean. <laughs> Did, was James Corden a big draw? Did he help bring people in, or was it was it the actual? I, you know, the I don't. Th- if he was here now, I don't think he'd say he made a a phone call to a mate. And when you read that yeah. in the press, you go, "No, we had brilliant <laughs> casting people. Yeah, we had really good scripts. It was ambitious. We did. We we didn't call in these favors because <laughs> that's that's literally not the way it worked. People people like the script and and you know we we didn't we didn't go around and have a cup of tea with amelia fox we sent her the script casting talked to her she liked it and she's amazing in it and do and people like that that's dawn you know i love i love the fact that dawn's in it because that that does it sort of anchors it back to something very traditionally british and and we, we really wanted to have that feel that we never wanted to be indulgent or let it go into a panicky world of of, of impossibility. We always yeah. root it in kind of what could happen. Uh, BBC Two's biggest comedy launch in, in eight years. Uh, you had a very nice slot after Bake Off. I mean, it must have been pleasing. Obviously, we wanted to, to beat the boss, Gervais, but we, we didn't quite do that, uh, which is obviously very galling. But, uh, the best since extras, is that right? I think that's right. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, and... If and when we do a series two, I think it'll be a thriller mainly about cakes, to be honest. Great. <laughs> Cake wars. Um, so you're going to replace you know, Bake Off next year? <laughs> yeah, of course. Um, I thought we'd go to BBC One. No, we'll, we'll stay on BBC Two. But I think, um, yeah, we were given, oh, look, BBC Two have been fantastic to us. Well, you know, it was, We imagined when we set out that it was it might be a 10 o'clock show. You know, kind of. But when, when, we, when we all decided the BBC would say, Let, let's make a go of this at nine. That was a real, a real thrill, and because it is quite an odd show. I mean, we—I've been living with it for. James Corden says I'm the most patient man in TV, which is if if that's on my headstone, it's um I don't know really. I don't know if I want to be known as brilliantly patient, but um you know it's four years in in the making, and um, hey, listen. It's it's been fun. I mean, you say if and when a second series. Uh, broadcasters reported that it's almost a fait accompli. How will you go again? The people involved are are very busy, you know, because the the first series involves uh, a sense of novelty of of people being taken out of their not very humdrum lives. So how are you going to take them out of their humdrum lives again? And so it takes some real thinking about how to how to tell that story again. Would you see a, a sort of similar creative process? Would it would it be another four years, or do you think no. you could turn it around a bit quicker? No, because we think. There'll be other shows like it, so we want to get in there, and there'll be a lot of television, brilliant television, a lot of brilliant stuff coming online in between uh, possible series. So you know, we're not we're not cocky or arrogant. We want to carry on telling this story. To yeah. be honest, just a bit more generally, Mark, how's mm. things at BBC in house at the moment? I mean, Danny Cohen has set out a big vision to boost creativity and improve collaboration. Are those ideas being well received? Yeah, Dan, Dan has always been um, very close to comedy, actually. Yeah. He's been a huge supporter of it with In-House and the Indies, so you know we're very pleased that he's continuing to do that. The uh, Lord Hall speech went down incredibly well. Yeah. I mean, one one thing about it is I suddenly realised um, that you know someone in that lofty position is talking to a lot of people who write scripts, whether you're a journalist or you know in drama or comedy or entertainment. I have to say, I I've chalked up a few years now in in this job. And it, it feels pretty good because we've got shows like 
2012 and you know we said sadly goodbye to the thick of it but let's you know let's hang on to its coattails because it was wonderful and then you've got the the kind of all-conquering mrs brown and in a world where you've got a show that's watched by 14 15 million people and is absolutely adored and then you can do the wrong man's i mean that's i don't know it's um it's great fun Good variety if, if, if you can have fun and be creative and have have no fear a lot is written about um, the people in the wrong man's i think uh, yards of press but the one, one thing you've got to admire those characters for is, is that generally they they aren't scared you know they're, yeah. they're creatively brave and, and that's the kind of people we love many thanks mark the wrong man's concludes on tuesday the 29th of october at 9 p.m on bbc2 Finally, it's time for some previews. Uh, Stephen and Peter are back with me. We start with Drifters, the new E4 comedy from Warwick Productions, the indie behind that little-known show, The Inbetweeners. You may have heard about it. Drifters centres on the lives of a group of women figuring out their path in life after leaving university. Here's a clip of the main character, Meg, getting frustrated with a waiter while on a first date. Sorry, can you just stop pouring water all the time? I've just had one glass of water, which you poured. I'm adequately hydrated. Sorry, just doing my job. Well, do it better. Where was I? I might be getting scabies any day now, is what I'm saying. What? It's not an STD necessarily. It can be sexually transmitted, but I didn't want to say that because I didn't know whether we were gonna or not. Done the bell. Stephen, is this uh, is this up to the standards of the in-betweeners? It's really difficult when you first see a comedy because there's that thing of the you know the sit has to be set up, and it's a really appealing setup initially. You know, three girls that sort of you know they don't really know what they're doing. They're trying to be adults and they're still being you know no money and all that kind of stuff. But um, no, no, I mean it, it, it looks very promising. I found the first episode a bit annoying. Because the, the, they had that thing of people having to be ridiculously stupid and moronic in order for the gags to work. Yeah. Which kind of, you know, you're going to, it's that sort of, it's that, you know, it's a willing suspension of disbelief with a comedy for a first few episodes until the character starts to become kind of known and things. But certainly all signs point to, you know, positive. It's It looks quite good. They The girls are quite interesting. You know, the, the lead setting's quite a new sort of feel. It's not sort of generic North London somewhere or anything like that. So, you know, it all looks good. It's just, I just wish they weren't always so yeah. stupid in order for the gags to... They definitely feed off each other well, the three main oh, characters. Yeah. Um, Pete, what did you what did you make of it? If you didn't know it was made by the company that made Inbetweeners, you would guess very quickly. I mean, it, do you think so? It, it, very much. It is Inbetweeners. It's you know, although it was set in in, in Leeds, I think rather than uh, Surrey, it was va- basically the same show but with with women <laughs> rather than men. I was, I mean, as I said Steve, same as Stephen. You know, it's tough to tough to gauge on the first episode, but but I, I just thought I've I've seen this before. For me, I didn't think it had the same authenticity of voice as the Inbetweeners. For a start, I felt that the women were older than they were meant to be in the show. Um, they're meant to be 24, but they appear to be doing things that 29, 30-year-olds are doing, like moving in with their boyfriends and things like that. Yeah, I mean, I I, I didn't realise they were supposed to be as old as 24 when I first started <laughs> watching. I actually thought they were more like 21, yeah. so yeah. I thought it was more like literally just finish a gap year or something or, or something like that. I don't necessarily think it had the in-betweeners written all the way through it. It did feel different-ish 
I mean, the other thing, of course, knowing it was done by Bork, mm. you're like, oh, it's going to be like this. And, you know, and it was deliberately different enough for me to kind of forget that for the first five minutes. Mm. Bork are superb at doing that sort of uncomfortable, real life, slightly mundane, prosaic stuff. And that's certainly what they're doing here. You know, the not having any money or not having this. And, you know, the, you know, why don't you get a job? And, you know, it's not it's not sort of um, I mean, I suppose it's traditional comedy ground for them. You know, but it feels quite fresh for everybody else because, you know, I, I didn't think the dating thing came across that much. Yeah. It wasn't a show about dating and girlfriends. It was a show It was a show about being losers. And, of course, all great comedy is about being a Big loser. Losers. And, Pete, I mean, it was written by Jessica Knappett. I hope that's uh, pronouncing it correctly. Uh, she's Meg, the main character. Were you impressed? I mean, this is her first sort of mm. major comedy. Yeah, she's the reason why I think people will watch her. I think the, the other two characters are a bit superfluous, especially, I mean, the slag character is, is the biggest stereotype I've, I've seen on TV <laughs> in, a, in a long while. But, yeah, she's quite impressive, and, and I hope that, you know, I hope that that continues. The first two episodes of Drifters debut on E4 on the 31st of October at 9pm. Next up is The Escape Artist, BBC One's drama from Hilary Bevan Jones's Endor Productions. It is penned by Spooks writer David Wollstonecroft and stars David Tennant as a sharp, charming junior barrister who becomes embroiled in the fallout of a horrific murder trial. The Escape Artist starts on Tuesday, the 29th of October at 9 pm. Let's hear Tennant as barrister Will Burton. Bonus prize, Mr. Burton. Oh, no, we're actually all up to the cottage for the whole weekend, so... I have a read of that, will you, Will? Knowing you, it shouldn't take you long. That's what I have a mobile range up there right now. It's very unfortunate. Tragic, in fact, so I... Uh... Simpkins Brown. Ours for you, personally. Really? Mm. Although I'd keep that particular fact all to yourself if I were you. They asked for you over any of the silks. I can't say I blame them. If I was in their client's shoes, I'd, I'd want your record on my side. Hmm? If you're chained up in a safe at the bottom of a shark tank, you don't call for Paul Daniels. You call for Houdini. Pete, uh, we'll start with you. Bit of grumbling about this before we started recording. Yeah, I just thought it was. I thought it was very average. I thought uh, if it didn't star that bloke from Broadchurch, I, I don't think uh, <laughs> that, that people would necessarily care. It felt like I'd seen seen the setup a million times before. Uh, we're not allowed to spoil the ending, but of, of the first episode, but but that sort of got my goat a little bit as well. Stephen, what did you make of it? Uh, well, I agree with every word. It was. It was. I felt like I'd seen it before. I think I felt like I'd seen the whole thing before. We're so kind of, what's the word, uh, sophisticated now with these kind of shows that you now have to have multiple twists and multiple this and massive character arcs and blah, 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 blah. So again, it's that problem of it's a first episode. But it did, my heart sank. When I saw the rival barrister, for example, I was like, doesn't she always play that character? It, it was, <laughs> You know what I mean? It felt a bit like that. So- you know, Sophie Okanade. Exactly. Yeah. And I just thought, I've seen her playing this exact role about 10 times. She always, the, the cool, slightly kind of bitchy, whatever. And you think... The ambition, you know, to be a, a, a clever thriller or whatever is good, but it's that, uh, have we not seen this a number of times now? Yeah. Pete, you know? do you think that's surprising, given that it's from a Spooks writer and Spooks with the the history and the... Possibly. The, the possibly. provenance that it has. I, I'm not, not calling David a one-trick pony, but, uh, I mean, there's been a great... Uh, we've had an incredible run of, of British drama in the last year or two, and, and this certainly doesn't doesn't come close to any of the, the shows like The Fall or Broadchurch or, or shows like that. This just makes me feel, as, as Stephen says, just a another legal drama. Yeah, and David Tennant doesn't do enough to no, he seems change to be, your opinion. Uh, unfortunately, it feels a little bit like he's phoning it in as this sort of posh barrister. Uh, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't feel that... that a lot of wild he does, guy staring, you know? Yeah. 
yeah. which is one of his kind of trademarks now. Yeah, he, he plays David Tennant very well, mm. I think, personally. Mm. Um, it does clip along at a fair old pace, though. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it's not a badly made show. Yeah. I mean, nobody's saying that. I mean, the acting is okay. It's more the fact that the plot, and it's simply the plot and the characterization, seems very familiar. You know, how many times, and you know, we can't talk about the twist, but anyone with a brain sees that twist coming from 40-odd minutes before the end. Apart yeah. from Ashley Jensen, it seems. <laughs> well, well <laughs> I, like, I, I admire your gumption, but uh, maybe, maybe David will let us get away with, uh, with mentioning her name. Um, there's three parts to this. I mean, do you think viewers will stick with it? They'll stick with it because it's not bad. It's yeah. not a load of rubbish. I mean, that's the thing. It's, you don't sit there and go, well, that's, I'm never watching that crap again. But you you don't necessarily go, oh, you know, and it, it, this, this is the thing about dramas. There's so many dramas now that you, they literally jump off the screen, mm. you know, and it's either it's the quality of the, of the acting and the storytelling or it's just that originality. This isn't that original and that's the sort of downfall. Everything else about it looks good, the sets are good, it, it doesn't feel cheap, it doesn't feel... But, it, there's you know, there's a, quite a few plot holes in terms of logic and yeah. you, you, know, you could drive a bus through some of them and, again, that willing suspension of disbelief again. But it's just a bit... Ugh. Thanks, guys. Uh, that's your lot for this episode. Thank you to Peter and Stephen. Gratitude also to Mark Freeland and Lisa Campbell. Keep listening to Talking TV on SoundCloud. Keep downloading us on iTunes and keep talking about us to anyone clever enough to heed your recommendations. I'm Jake Cantor. The producer was Matt Hill. Until next time, goodbye. You've been listening to Broadcast, Talking TV, recorded at Maple Street Studios. 